Hi, welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. So this week we have Robert Williams and his resume is quite extensive. So we're going to let you do the introduction for us. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and basically why we're chatting with you today. Yeah, thanks guys for having us on board. So it is an extensive resume. I started in this industry in 2000. And the reason I got started in the industry was literally uh, ran another business in cell phones, mobile phones, we call them here in Australia, and purchased some polos and some branded merchandise. And I thought, hang on, I can do something here. This is just a new, interesting, exciting industry. And I sort of started from there. So been in it for 20 years this year, which is exciting. Been part of the APA board, which is the Australasian Promotional Products Association, for about four years now, and been the board president for the last two years. So it's been exciting to be part of it. And obviously, all the way from Australia, you can tell by my accent. So from Melbourne in Victoria and Australia. So yeah, great place to be, and it's a great industry to be part of, that's for sure. This is an exciting one. Yeah. So I'm not sure if this is our first international podcast, but we'll take credit for it anyway. And so you're actually joining us because you are starting the Promo Kitchen Australia wing of everything. And so we yes. wanted to come and chat with you about everything that involves that, like sort of what made you join in, how did you find it, and what you're working on for it. Definitely. I first became engaged with Promo Kitchen well, a couple of years ago now through Mark Graham. And we sort of connected there. I've come along to the functions at the House of Blues every year. I've been doing that for about five or six years, I think it is now. And I just saw the great work that you guys are doing, Danny Rosen, Kirby, Bill, and all those guys, when they first started it and launched everything, just loved what the passion was that Promo Kitchen brought and what you guys are doing for our industry to bring newcomers into the industry and also connect people together. And I thought, you know what, we need something like that here in Australia. So I sort of reached out to Robert Fiveash last year and we got the discussion started. and. We're not far off launching here around PK Australia. Very exciting. Yeah, it's one of those like, okay, we've gone global now. I love that you keep coming to Expo and that you've been part of the Promo Kitchen community as well as you obviously, between APA and everything else you've been involved with is the global community. So coming to Expo, what are your main takeaways from each year, especially this year? Like it was such a year of experiential marketing there. So what was your big takeaway from Expo 2020? My biggest takeaway from Expo, probably for the past sort of 10 years that I've been coming there, has always been around education. I love attending the education sessions. I know we were in one together. And I love the education and just the passion that you get from the speakers and also just all the sessions and what you can take away from it. I head over to the US to literally come to education and just see what you guys are doing. I mean, everything's so much bigger in the US, of course. And I love the connections you can make. It's just the experience we go out for, you know, lunches, breakfast, coffees, whatever it is. One of the biggest things I did like was where we did an education session that was in the domes. That was, yeah. that was different, wasn't it? <laughs> I really loved that one. And for anyone who didn't join, what it was, was PPAI had these, I don't think they're called biodomes, but they were these yeah. igloos on the showroom floor. And the session that we were part of was where they brought in all the PBA fellows and we kind of talked about different things. So everyone had a section that they were part of so strategy time management and everything else and then you got to have one-on-one chats the dome was different wasn't it i mean it was a great environment to be part of yeah and i always like what ppi does a lot of organizations like that could be very straightforward with their education is like 
we're going to put you in a room, all the tables are going to face the front, blah, 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 blah. But they've been very good at being experimenting and playing with formats and playing with topics as well and kind of making it wide ranging. Because what Expo does best is build the community. And so you have the biodomes, the communication, round tables, the workshops. It's not just go, sit, listen, get out. Yeah. Well, I do love the experiences and and the puppies and everything like that there as well. (laughs) The puppies were the best. There was definitely a lot of the show this year that was the conversation piece, whether you were there or whether you were not there through social media. I think some of the experience stuff at Expo this year was amazing, over the top trendy, right on point. I know I really liked it. I kept on saying that although I wore a lot of great products, I was really more impressed with some of the experience type pieces. So well done, PPAI. Yes. Definitely. So you're coming from down under kind of thing. I'm going to ask that cultural question of what do you find is different and stands out and what do you find is the same? It's one of those like, okay, we're a global community. It's all the same, but I even know from Canada to US, There are subtle differences, but also really interesting ones where you're like, oh, I wouldn't have thought that way. And so what are the Australian-American ones that you see? Keep in mind, Vegas is not a real place. So you can't use Vegas as grounds for comparison. That's right. It's Expo we're looking for. (laughs) Vegas is Disneyland. (laughs) Very true. Yes, definitely is. That's for sure. Vegas is definitely a different place. There's a lot in common at the moment with the US and Australia that I'm noticing. So it's sort of grown into becoming very unique in that we're both very close to what we do. It, the biggest things that I sort of notice, and you probably notice as well, is everything in the US is always bigger. Look, one thing that I've noticed in the promo industry that's definitely a lot different is the collaboration and connections and sharing of ideas that you guys do. That's one thing that us here in Australia, we're probably a little bit scared to do. We just don't reach out to each other. We don't want to connect. We're afraid of people taking clients or taking staff or whatever it might be. The collaboration over there is just amazing. And that's why I love coming to that environment. You're able to share ideas. You can talk about business and how things are going and talk the truth. And that's probably one of the biggest differences I've definitely noticed coming to the US for sure, in our industries anyway. And sometimes I wonder whether or not it's truly unique to our industry as well. I know in Canada, we can be a little isolationist as well in terms of when you think of like your pot of clients is a lot smaller than what it is in the US. But it is interesting to see how collaborative, like I have no problem talking about business with my competition, with my clients and being upfront and sort of pulling ideas from people. It's great. Yeah. And you might see a change in that over the next few years. I know sometimes in other areas of the world, things are a little bit slower than the US. I definitely think our industry was more fear-based, if you will, a few years ago and people were scared to give away that information and hold it so closely to them, even when working with suppliers, you know, not telling Kate, for example, the prop client I was working with just because of fear. And that's gone away a lot in the last few years, especially with organizations like Promo Kitchen, where we're just sort of empowering one another and there to help each other. It's just not a industry of fear anymore, which is great. It's opening up great conversations. I'm meeting with someone next week that I met at QCon. And it's another distributor in the area, great energy, just another person for me to meet. It's a competitor, but I think that if we have a good conversation, I'd love to hear more about what they're doing. So those conversations are just having more and more for us here. I'm sure you'll see more of that, especially if you're involved in promo kitchen stuff over there in Australia. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it also can yeah. be kind of tied to the next generation. Like I think younger people, our boundaries are wide open. 
the internet has been amazing and terrible at the same time, but we're more open to communication and transparency is really key. So starting a conversation and not worrying about transparencies, like, you know, hiding things and everything else is not really the nature of the generation coming up. So it's very interesting seeing how communication with people has changed without sounding like an old millennial, you know, on the cusp of of retirement. I find younger people are far more open about what they're sharing and far more open about their tribulations on everything as well. Definitely. Kate, you said millennial and I was actually felt like just today I was going to notice that no one had said the word millennial in any conversation and I was going to pat myself on the back today (laughs) because I feel like this inevitably comes up in every conversation. So that's a good question for you, Robert. Does this statement come up with you guys in Australia a lot? Is the millennial factor a big deal over there? It's a really big deal over here. (laughs) It started to, yeah. As you said, we're probably a little bit behind the US. I know when I was over at Expo and all of that, probably two years ago, you started talking about millennials and things like that. It's definitely starting to come through now here in Australia, where one of the biggest things we're struggling with is trying to attract millennials. It's definitely different to what the US is doing, where there's a lot of millennials in the industry. We're actually struggling to get millennials into our industry. And that's one of the reasons PK here in Australia will probably be essential to growing that. Just getting the mentorship and getting the understanding of the industry. But yeah, trying to get the millennials actually excited about joining it is our next task. What do you think is one of the obstacles to getting younger people in? Where do you think the gap has happened on it? Here in Australia, I'm noticing, I think it's more that it's not seen as a career path. It's not a professional development sort of path, I guess, in a lot of ways. So. I'd like to sort of see a bit more change in that and we become a bit more of a professional sort of industry. I know over in the US, of course, you've got the TAS, CAS, MAS, all those sorts of things. And I've done all those last year. We don't do that here in Australia. So there's no real professional recognition to being part of our industry. So to the millennials, they're probably not seeing a career path. They're just seeing it as the knickknacks, throwaway items, whatever they want to call it. Trinkets I've heard over in the US. (laughs) <laughs> the terrible trinkets and trash and trash yeah, trinkets and, and trash yep that's yeah. it i think we've really got to re-educate people here in australia and i'm sure even in the us and international as well promotional products are a valued medium and we've got to see that as a career path i mean i've been doing this for 20 years and this is definitely a career path that's for sure we've got to probably educate the millennials that you don't need a degree you don't need to do all this sort of stuff and you know i guess a lot of the millennials are thinking they have to do a degree or a bachelor or just to get to where they want to. And this isn't one of those industries you need to, but it has got some amazing opportunities, that's for sure. Yeah, so how large is the association in Australia? We've got about 800 members, so we're a lot smaller than the US, that's for sure. (laughs) This is the thing I find about Canada as well, is Americans, because of their size and scope, they always think of like Canada as another state up there. And no, (laughs) we have all our little intricacies and weirdnesses and quirkiness and while at the same time being like, yeah, our association's about the size of one of your regionals. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's exactly right. You mentioned that the perception of promotional products within Australia is more the trinket kind of industry. I traveled to Australia years ago. I always think of it like Canada and kind of the more rural areas of like where you're very tied into the land, like you can see the effects in your environment really easily. So is sustainability not just a trend, but a big movement. So you see, is it like Jimmy Mayer talks about like brand fill a lot? Is that kind of a perception that happens in Australia? Like what is the sustainability approach that you're finding? It's only just starting. So it's, yeah. it's really only fresh, believe it or not. So yeah, we're very isolated in a lot of regards. 
but it is only starting the sustainable sort of area. And I've noticed that more so probably since I've come back from Vegas, actually. And a lot of clients are saying, oh, we don't want plastic packaging with the pens or we don't want a plastic drink bottle. We'll look at it an aluminium one or something like that instead. So I'm definitely noticing that a lot more since I've come back from Vegas. I probably saw it maybe start in late 2019, but it hasn't been a huge focus on the promo side of things. Definitely as a country, we try to be very sustainable. We recycle a lot and things like that, of course, and we've got a lot of programs around that. But it hasn't hit promo until I reckon probably maybe three or four months, to be honest. And I think this year is going to be a massive change in that people are going to ask for more sustainable items. A lot of Australian large businesses here have started what they call a corporate social responsibility program or a CSR program. And that now engages sustainable products and things like that. I mean, literally just yesterday, I think I had three clients come to me and ask for quotes and they said, we want sustainable items. So yeah, it's starting to get traction now. Do you think a lot of that is tied to everything that's happening with the wildfires? That awareness kind of went from like average or low level to like, <laughs> like the oh no level? Um, <laughs> don't know if it's got any direct connection with the wildfires. I think it's just, we're starting to realize how much does end up in landfill. And I really do think that people are trying to gear away from that. And one of the biggest quotes that I always remember is Danny Rose and, and stress balls. I know he hates stress balls with a passion and sees those a lot as landfill. I think that's what we're trying to educate our clients to get away from that landfill sort of product. I mean, do they need a stress ball or can we provide them something nicer that's actually going to be used, utilized, you know, touch the five senses, all those sorts of things. It's definitely going to see a swift change this year and definitely something I know our company is doing, but also APA is definitely heading up. Well, I've actually started up a sustainability group late last year with our committee and that's just going to be around how we can educate and get products and also changes into being a lot more sustainable for our industry as well. Yeah. What frustrates me is how people talk about sustainability as a trend and it's like, no, it's a lifestyle now. It's amazing that you've seen such a late shift in it when here in North America, there's so many companies that have launched, like Sanmar did their Reti, which is using recycled plastics. Their PCNA has a lot of eco-friendly products. It's just become the thing. It's like you have to have an eco-focus. And so it's interesting that it's so delayed there. And I want the conversation on it to kind of shift from like trend to of course it's sustainable. Or even like when you said about you don't want to engage the five senses on products. It's like my dad here, he always talks about when you think of your promo, what did you give away two years ago and where is it? Yep. Like, is it something that something is still in use or is it something that, oh, cool, neat, don't really need it, gets tossed? Exactly. No, 100% agree with you. Speaking as a distributor, a few years ago for us, Eco was really quote unquote in and important, but a lot of times clients were asking us because they felt like, again, it was trendy and important to everyone else, and then price tags were not so popular. So people were like, oh, I care, but I don't care that much. And they wouldn't be able to spend the money on the eco products. Now, with this like second shift of how important it is because it's important to everybody and it's, it's part of society, and like Kate said, it's not a trend at all. It's all our clients are asking us about. So I think for us, when we get back from Vegas, we weren't hearing so much what's hot and new. It was what products are out there that we love that are now offered that are sustainable. What can we be doing that's different than we did last year? 
in terms of the way that we're packaging. So the conversation has shifted so much for us in terms of eco and what to expect. Yeah, it is one of those things is that I think, like you said, people used to think it was in, but now also like pricing has matched to it as well. Pricing, it used to be an eco product could be $5 more and now it's the same as what it is for a normal product, which is really good. And that's kind of showing that it's a viable option to follow. Yeah, we're noticing this here in Australia, definitely that eco sustainable sort of product is priced the same as what the others are, which is great to see. Yes, very nice. (laughs) One of those, yay, the environment. (laughs) Exactly. So in terms of Promo Kitchen Australia, what is your main objective with it? What do you hope to really achieve with it? Yeah, so I guess going back to what we were sort of talking about before, I really want to get some new entrants into our industry. I'd like to see millennials join the industry as well. The biggest thing and the uptake that I've got from Promo Kitchen in the US is definitely around that mentorship. And I really want to bring people that are being mentored into our industry rather than just falling into the industry, not understanding it, then potentially doing some damage to the industry as well. I mean, we've all seen it happen where people enter the industry because it's such an easy entry to get into and they discount products, they sell trash, you know, they do all that. I really want to change that whole perception around our industry and what we do. And Again, building that career path for millennials and things like that and building a professional organisation. I think that's where PK Australia will definitely come into fruition there because it's going to allow us to educate them from the start, which is vitally important, I think. Yeah, I think a great focus that PK has is that mentorship program of kind of saying is like, you don't really have to do it alone. My favourite thing is to ask people how they got into the industry because it's never what you think it is. It's either nepotism, which is how I got in. So that's perfectly fine. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a family business. Uncle needed me for a month or it's like I answered an ad. I think it's important that we do lead the way. And that's definitely something that I've seen through PK in the US as doing because they're just changing the whole culture of the industry. And I think that's very important. Have the change of culture and bring the right people into the industry so we can succeed for many years to come. Definitely here in the Australian market, there's a lot of I guess the older generation in our market and they're starting to amalgamate, sell their businesses, want to get out of the industry and things like that. So we really need to engage the younger people to take over their spots, I guess, and to keep the longevity of our industry here in Australia. That's for sure. Supplier distributors, is it the same sort of business model as it is here in North America or is it a little bit different? One of the biggest sort of challenges I see between the two in our industry is definitely probably the biggest one is around buying groups. So the I promote use the the Geigers and those sort of places, we don't have any of those here in Australia. We generally go direct to a lot of our suppliers and we can also source our own suppliers and things like that. We just don't have that sort of market where they do have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the buying groups is what I call them out of the US. I don't know if that's what they're called in the US or not. Associate Um, affiliations. I think it's more of like you can come in and say they all operate as individual distributors, but kind of under the I promote you or Geiger umbrella or Geiger kind of brings people more in. Yeah. So they kind of will get better price discounts, work on advertising, invoicing, kind of the support system for it. But that's what I find really interesting is like if so, if you have an older generation that are selling off or closing up their shop is sort of who kind of moves into the vacuum there. And then my other question would be what, do you have for suppliers? Shipping costs can be so insane. Do you have a lot of 
locally based suppliers, like even within Australia, people think it's this small little country, but it's a continent. And I think the drive to one place to the other is the length of Texas, and it looks small on a map. <laughs> yeah, it looks small on a map, definitely. Yeah. So do you um, have like local suppliers? Like what is the homegrown industry there? Yeah, we do. We've got a lot of local supplies, but I mean, we've got, because China and that's so close to Australia, a lot of distributors here will go direct to China. And sometimes it's almost cheaper to buy off China, including the freight, than it is here in Australia. But we do have a lot of local-based supplies. So we've probably got a core range of larger supplies here that take care of all the importing. So they keep the stock locally. We buy it off them. And most of them decorated internally now and everything like that as well. And freight-wise here actually isn't as expensive as the US, for example. So say from Melbourne to Sydney, which, you know, flying time is probably about an hour and a half. You know, I can probably ship something up overnight if it's in just a small bag, probably for about $10. So it's actually not that bad. But a lot of the suppliers now are offering things like free freight and things like that to incentivize you to use them versus going to China direct. So we've got that whole big China influence because it is so easy to connect with China that a lot of our local suppliers try to remain very competitive and offer good customer service, quick deliveries, you know, 24 hour, three day turnaround, and they keep a lot of stock locally. So with thanks to a lot of our suppliers, we're able to sort of get things done very quickly without having to worry about going to China or anything like that. And I think the suppliers here in Australia have done a good job by doing things like free freight or, you know, competitive price setups and things like that, that, you know, you really want to keep things local as much as you can for that reason. So yeah, it's actually not as bad as what it used to be. I mean, probably used to be a little bit different come 20 years ago when I first started. But nowadays, it's so easy to get products from local base suppliers. And even we've got a lot of local base suppliers that have that China connection directly, and they import stuff every week. So I can get things like USBs, pens and things like that done offshore through a local supplier, and they take all the risk and all the trouble of it, and still get it delivered within about a week or two. So the connection between that whole China, Australia thing has become stronger through that, but it then remained local based. So I'm using a local supplier, not going direct to China. They've just got the supply chain worked out very well that they can turn things around in China so quickly and get it here for very good prices. I mean, I can get, you know, like a calico bag or a tote bag done in four weeks in China for about 60 cents a bag, for example. And that's on a quantity of 50. So it's very competitive (laughs) in that regards. Interesting. And it's so interesting. I mean, you would have to take advantage of being kind of next door to China in that way. And But again, how much your industry has kind of flattened the path to ordering. And again, the aim of keeping local while recognizing that you have so many people that are able to go direct and quite easily too. I guess the difference in a lot of industry, there's not a lot of Australian made promotional products though. I know the US does it pretty big. You don't um, have they, like boomerangs or anything? <laughs> um, we do, but they're probably even made in China. A lot of them, so, but yeah, a lot of the stuff here is very hard to get Australian made products in our industry in particular. That's for sure. Interesting. And what do you think that is? Like, it's that just in the industry and the sort of structure for that doesn't exist or that um, it's just it, easier to go to China? It used to exist. Yeah. But I think it's because that China connection is so easy to make. I mean, China opens their doors to the Australian promo market a couple of times a year for trade shows and things like that. So we're invited to go to trade shows there all the time. I think one of the biggest things is that our cost of labor and also our cost of, we've got things like WorkSafe and work cover premiums and things like that. And they add up a lot of cost to 
manufacturing businesses here in Australia. And it, it almost becomes impossible to be able to manufacture certain items here in Australia. We used to do Australian-made clothing as one of our biggest things, but it just got too expensive in terms of labor, insurances, and all those sorts of things that you can get a polo off China for a lot cheaper than you can getting it made locally. So it's sad in a lot of ways because I prefer to support Australian companies where we can. I think keep it local and everything is definitely a big key thing, but it's just the cost of doing business here in Australia. We've got a lot of expenses here when it comes to paying people wages and then their superannuation and various other things, which add up a lot of costs, that's for sure. Yeah, your cost of living is a lot higher than... I know in Canada, there's a huge push to have buy local and Canadian made. And even as a manufacturer in Canada, it's really hard. Our competition is they're doing it cheaper because they don't have the same labor requirements, minimum wage requirements. We in Canada increased our minimum wage this year. And a lot of people suffered, but at the same time, a lot of people actually did very well with it. Unfortunately, you get in this thing of like, well, the cost is really high, but what's the ethical approach on it as well? Like, yeah, it's an interesting kind of conundrum, but it is really hard when manufacturing goes away, it takes a huge amount of capital and skill to bring it back. Especially global market has flattened everything. Mm. It's made it more open for everyone to do business, which is great in a lot of ways. But then, yeah, we have taken that whole aspect of what we used to manufacture and what we used to do within our own countries as well, which drives the economy a lot. Yeah. Well, as a Canadian manufacturer, you should always buy local. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's my preference. (laughs) Kate mentioned before, you know, a topic been buzzing lately in the wildfires. Talk to us a little bit about how that's impacted you and your team and your community and even your clients. We're probably lucky where we are. We're about three hours probably away from some of the big Victorian fires that have been happening. It's been an interesting time because there's some pretty severe fires going up in Canberra at the moment, which is, I guess, our Washington. And Sydney's also had fires since October. So it's been a pretty intense sort of start to our wildfire season. And really, for Victoria, we're only into our wildfire season effectively now. Generally, February's when it starts for us. So we've still got a long road ahead, that's for sure. We're lucky in that a lot of our clients and suppliers aren't based out in a lot of those areas, although the ones in Canberra are probably getting a bit closer to a lot of our clients and things like that. And I know last Friday, I reached out to a lot of my clients in Canberra just to check on them, make sure they're okay and things are going well. And you could definitely tell the effects there. There were some fires actually next to some of my clients' buildings and things like that up there. And they shared some photos and all of that with me of what that looked like. So it's definitely changing our landscape and how we do things at the moment. But we're lucky in a lot of ways that it hasn't hit sort of the major towns or anything like that. It's been a lot of regional. It's going to cost the economy quite a bit of damage, though, in that the regional towns and all of that rely so much on tourism. And a lot of people went down to these places for Christmas holidays, for Easter holidays, you know, all of those sorts of things. And they're now trying to do a big drive in trying to get business back to those areas. We've got a campaign out there at the moment, support your mate. Mate's a big thing here in Australia, of course. And that is go down to those regional towns now on your weekend, buy a beer and have a meal at one of the pubs or one of the establishments down there, you know, to try to build that business back. So the Australian people will get behind that, which is great to see. And I think we will rebuild on it. It's just going to take some time. That's all. And it's just been interesting. I'm a volunteer firefighter myself and I've been a volunteer firefighter now for 12 years. And at the moment, I'm actually what I call the duty officer for our fire brigade. And that is putting together crews and things like that. And I'm actually currently putting together crews 
to go up to Canberra for the fires up in Canberra at the moment. So I did that for some of the fires over Christmas time as well. I was the duty officer for our brigade at that time. I've seen the logistics and things like that that go in and you know a lot of people have taken time off to go to these fires. In Australia, a lot of our bushfire firefighters are volunteers and without those volunteers, none of this would be possible basically to save the townships that have been there. So it's been great to see sort of the community come together and I think that's the true Aussie spirit. I love that we asked, how'd you get into that as a volunteer? About 12 years ago, a friend of mine joined one of the local fire brigades and just said, Rob, it's so much fun. You can get engaged. It's something to give back to your community. And I thought, yeah, why not? So joined up with a local fire brigade, did the, I think it was about a six-month course on training and things like that on various different aspects. And yeah, here we are 12 years later. (laughs) Fun. But I love that messaging of support your mate. Like mate as a thing in Australia is like a big thing. And that's a great way to kind of encourage coming back to the communities, especially as you said, like wildfire season's not over yet. So it's still ongoing and raise awareness, but also raise awareness of the effect and make sure people aren't scared or never going back to these areas. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing, making sure that we do take that whole aspect of being scared out of the whole picture now, get people back there because the fires in a lot of those areas are now gone and they've been finished of course it's safe to go back into those areas so the government here and the fire services and all that are definitely working towards getting people back into the areas and it'll be good to see a lot of people head back there and support those communities because it's going to be vitally important for the Australian economy especially that people do that otherwise we just won't have those places in future years to come that's for sure. International tourism as well. Australia runs on that. Like when I was there years ago, it was so much was geared towards just moving the North Americans and Europeans throughout. Definitely big markets for tourism. Obviously been hit by the wildfires and then we're obviously being quite well affected. I'm sure it's impacting the US as well, but by the coronavirus in China as well. We get a lot of tourism from China. And I believe from memory, we've closed our doors to China coming into Australia at the moment. So Really? Yeah, a lot of tourism has changed, that's for sure. So our economy is going to be hit pretty hard, especially from that effect as well. That's really rough and it's going to be very interesting and really hard to come back from that and sort of rebuild and restructure and hopefully, yeah. Hopefully it's only short-lived, you know, like we had the SARS virus, you know, a couple of years back and things like that. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And that did affect the economy here in Australia. So because we're so closely aligned to China, I think we've just got to be able to bounce that back. And as I was saying, you know, support your mate sort of campaign. There's a lot of advertising around keep your money locally now. So don't travel overseas this year, travel into Australia instead. So hopefully that just builds our economy back again. Yeah. So we've learned a lot about you on this podcast. I love it. Yeah, no, it's been great. And we'd like to give you the last day. Is there anything you want the community to know? Anything you want to share? Any questions for us? Yeah, got a couple of questions for you guys, and that's around Prima Kitchen, the US, of course, and what your focus will be in 2020, where you guys sort of want to head with PK as well. Oh, that is a loaded question. We have our BAGs, the big ass goals. (laughs) Um, We want to focus on so many things that it's kind of hard to narrow it down, but one of our main things is education. I think PK has an amazing reputation for being the ones who will talk about the things that everyone's very quiet about, that will push boundaries, that, you know, we have such an amazing like brain trust of people that it's fun to kind of draw on them for different things. And 
And then we also kind of want to be a really good entry point for new people to the industry because there's the associations like PBAI, ASI, PBPC, like they all have abilities, but we want to kind of be the ones that, you know, we get them while they're young and help them and build them and through education, through social, through mentorship and watch them grow. We have an amazing group of people and our community is strong. So we want to keep building them that way. So education is the main focus and mentorship, like growing that is really important to us because we've all, both Joe and I have had mentors in the industry and we recognize like the true value of them. And my mentors have changed the path of my career so many times. And, you know, there's so much education that goes on keeping that, making sure that someone else has that opportunity to have a mentor, to be a mentor and grow it that way. Joe, what about you? Kate's absolutely right. I know I feel like I got lucky with the mentor I had and still have. And just making people feel like that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to lean on people at times because we've all been there. Just keeping those lines of communication open. Again, Kate mentioned we have some big-ass goals. I'd love to see a couple website tweaks for PK this year without revealing too much. I just think we can make some minor tweaks there. I think we are doing some really fun stuff with tech. Yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot in the burner. Having conversations with people like you and really interesting podcasts. We have some great ones on the burner. The podcasts for me are just providing so much education for me as someone that's taking part of them, someone that's listening to them. It's just been a really good whirlwind of information for me and learning the ropes at PK. But I always say when I first got involved, I was sort of like this fangirl at PK and took in so much content from our podcast. I think they provide so much value to people in the industry, whether you're a distributor, whether you're a supplier, whether you are, you know, like a promo corner type of company where you don't have to be in a certain skill set to be involved and listen to them and learn about people's stories and how they got to where they are. We also offer so many other platforms to jump in and learn through like promo chat on Twitter, where we're having really good conversations. And again, they're not always targeted to distributors. They're not always targeted to suppliers. They're very open, fluid conversations that we're having. And I know every time I jump in, I learn something new and someone else's perspective. And we hope that the community is doing the same thing and just really soaking in the free education. You're right. I mean, I've always loved the PK community and what you guys have sort of brought value to. And I'm really looking forward to that Australian connection, the PK Oz. Really can't wait to sort of see that launch this year. And we just kick those goals together. We've got some pretty big goals. We obviously want to launch it. We want to get the millennials involved. We want to do a lot of mentorship. And we definitely want to share a lot of podcasts and all of that with you guys over there as well. And likewise, get the podcast from you guys to be able to share here in Australia. So I think that whole international collaboration is going to be fantastic. Yeah, the world is, yeah, absolutely. The world is flattening and the walls are coming down. So it's interesting to sort of see that what happens in North America is not unique and everyone's obstacles are different. So yeah, but how we can help you is so exciting. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting year. And thank you for the opportunity to um, be able to start PK Australia as well. And it's been great to, great to see where that's sort of heading. And you know, I don't think we're too far off launching, that's for sure. Well, we'll have you back on when it's all yeah, launched. And- <laughs> Fantastic. I, I was just going to say that, and please continue to keep us, one, posted on your progress, but two, come to us with challenges or questions, because as you know, we've been through this, and we'd love to help you in any way we can. Definitely. No, we'll do. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of our Promo Kitchen community and being such a big supporter over the years that you've brought it all the way down under. I had to get one of those jokes in. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's been great to have a chat and yeah thank you for inviting us our pleasure thanks again for listening to this edition of the promo kitchen podcast if you like what you hear you can subscribe to the podcast through itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and remember you can always get involved in the promo kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.